Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome back, Dennis and Callahan. It is always a pleasure to welcome one of the most uh, informative guests we ever have on this program. ESPN's basketball NBA analyst, Tim Legler, joins us on the AT&T hotline, AT&T 4G LTE. Good morning, Tim. How are you? morning, gentlemen. I'm doing great. Thanks. Uh, did anything you saw last night, any, I'm sorry, did anything you thought about the Heat and Celtics change based on what you saw last night? No, not really. I, I Honestly, going into the season, I said that these were the two teams that were going to play in the Eastern Conference Finals. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I was actually, despite the fact that Boston really struggled last night defensively, um, I, re- I didn't offer a whole lot of resistance to Miami. I still think they're going to be a better team this year than they were a year ago. Um, and the Miami Heat right now clearly to me are the best team in the East. And they showed it last night. I was a little bit surprised that Miami was that effective offensively this early in the season. They, they typically have been slow out of the gate to get going the last couple of years. But last night, really offensively, they executed and shot the ball as if they were in midseason form. So I give them a lot of credit because they really look sharp. Tim, you know how talk radio works. We are all about knee-jerk reactions to very small sample sizes. So I want to know, can we accurately conclude that if both the Heat and the Celtics play to their maximum potential, the Heat win the vast majority of the games? I think so. I mean, the Heat are a better team right now. They are. You know, they won a championship a year ago, and you can just tell there's a a more relaxed tone about that team. Mm. They also went out and added Ray Allen. They added Richard Lewis. This is a team that now is just very, very difficult to defend. They, and they were last year, but there was also times last year when the Heat offensively, you know, you kind of knew they would go a six-minute stretch and struggle to make shots if you did a good job of protecting the lane. And now when you add those two guys to the team, you know, who their primary purpose is going to be spread the floor and knock down perimeter shots when you try to load up on LeBron James, Dwayne Wade, they just have so much more balance in their lineup now. They're going to be even more difficult to defend. So I think both teams play their best basketball. The Miami Heat are a better team, but we both know that not every team plays its best basketball when it has to, and therefore, you know, it's it's you know, I think far too premature to conclude that the Boston Celtics wouldn't have a chance to get back to the NBA Finals because you just don't know. They meet on that stage in the Eastern Conference Finals again. Mm-hmm. You you don't know at that time, you know, what kind of injuries have taken place, what kind of rhythm those teams have, and, and Boston still has championship pedigree. And they took them to seven games a year ago. Well, and like I said, I think Boston will be better this year as well as Miami being better. Well, we saw when LeBron went out with the cramps and the Celtics caught up, we saw one thing that could uh, bring the heat dynasty down uh, if LeBron goes out, if LeBron rolls an ankle. Other than that, how it, give us a scenario where the Celtics could actually overtake Miami in the regular season or in the playoffs. Well, I think the biggest thing is, it, to me, it, Boston clearly wasn't close to as good as they're going to be defensively last night. Right. Um, I, I think you have too many easy baskets, and you, you can't give up easy baskets against the Heat. I was taking notes during the game. You know, and and I stopped taking them 
mid-fourth quarter. But Miami had a pretty big lead before Boston's comeback. But, yeah, there were six, eight examples of just basic plays defensively that where Boston lost contact with their defender, they turned their head, basic fundamental things, and got beat on cuts, got beat on offensive rebounds, uh, gave up easy penetration off pick and roll because they didn't defend it right, and, and Mario Chalmers tiptoes down the lane and lays the ball in. Things like that, are, you know, they're going to get tightened up and stored up right. on Boston's end. So, you know, you certainly didn't see Boston's best performance defensively last night, and I don't know how much better Miami can play than they did last night. So, you know, I think that's the one thing that can give Boston hope. But as I said, you know, a couple minutes ago, if, if both of these teams are firing at all cylinders, the Miami Heat, are the best team in the NBA. Well, why do you think, I mean, they got rid of, they got rid of, they lost, uh, you know, a 10-time All-Star in Ray Allen, maybe the best shooter of all time. Uh, we know the additions they made. What makes you think, sitting here now, Tim, that the Celtics are better now than they were a year ago? Well, because I don't think there's going to be any, any depreciable loss uh, in the games of, of Kevin Garnett or Paul Pierce. Rajon Rondo, you would hope, would continue to evolve as a player. So, so you hope that he's still continuing to get better. Uh, if Pierce and Garnett stay the same, look at what they have added. I, I do think Jeff Green, even though he didn't show it last night, he had a very good preseason. I think they're going to find a, a role for him and a, a more defined offensive uh, level of production as the year goes on, so he'll be better. Jason Terry, at this stage of his career, is a is a more productive player than Ray Allen from this standpoint. But, Jason Terry could do things with the basketball and running pick and roll and, and being a playmaker that Ray Allen can't do. Ray Allen can still knock down shots. And he's, he's obviously still a big-time scoring threat. But there's going to be plenty of nights when Jason Terry is going to make you forget about Ray Allen. And Leandro Barbosa coming in as a late pickup, and you saw a spurt last night that he had offensively. He's not going to do that every game. But with Jason Terry and Leandro Barbosa coming off your bench, they've got more scoring punch in their backcourt coming off the bench than at any time since this group has been together. So, if you, if you, and you saw Brandon Bass. I, I just think this is a team that ultimately will be better. It's early. And I know, like you just said, that's a jerk reaction. We're going to do it at ESPN all day. There's an overreaction and an overanalysis that takes. Oh, not not us, Tim. We don't do that. No, we're going to look at the big the, the the big picture, the long haul. Hey, do you think either team, both teams, are too small? Uh, or will there'll be nights, there'll be days where they appear where they are just too small and don't match up against bigger teams. Yeah, there will definitely be nights like that. You know, Miami had nights like that a year ago. They proved ultimately that you know the versatility they have in some of their guys and the athleticism can make up for some of that. Boston looked real small to me last night, but I thought that was their problem a year ago. You know, they're a different defensive team than they were early on uh, during the run with these three guys. You know, when they had everybody funneling the ball back uh, to Kendrick Perkins and to Shaquille O'Neal and Jermaine O'Neal and the different big bodies they had back there underneath the rim, they were a different type of defensive team. Even having a guy like Glenn Davis, who took a ton of charges and was always in the way when you tried to drive. This is a different team. They're, you know, Kevin Garnett is their biggest guy most of the time on the floor. He is not great as your last line of defense. He's a great defender out on the perimeter and defending multiple positions and a, one of the best pick-and-roll defenders of all time at the big. But that's out on the floor. If you're asking him to clog the lane and be the last line of defense and, and hit somebody, that's not really his strength. And that's where Boston, I thought, they did at times last night look like once you got past your initial defender – 
there wasn't a whole lot of resistance in the lane. And I saw that at times out of them a year ago. And, and that's who they are. That's the personnel that they have on their roster now. So that they've got to figure out, you know, how to be better defensively with their rotations. And then they have to be so good offensively at times they'll make up for what they're giving up defensively, and that's that's Miami's premise as well. We're talking with ESPN's Tim Legler, and Tim, referencing the defensive deficiencies that we witnessed last night, obviously a lot of that has to do with new guys, new faces in new places, and not having that continuity. But I'm wondering, when Avery Bradley comes back in mid-December, what does the influx of that kind of on-ball defensive talent do for this defensive group as a whole? It's huge, because I was watching the game last night, and I was looking for somebody to be chest-to-chest with, with a perimeter player. They really weren't last night. I mean, Courtney Lee, I thought early in the game, you know, was trying to compete, but there was also other times I thought he was giving far too much ground to Dwayne Wade and continue to give, 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 and eventually Dwayne Wade's going to overpower you if you continue to just back up. You, sometimes you just have to get into guys, force them to turn the corner on you, and then hope that someone's going to slide and rotate and not let him get to the rim. I thought they were soft and passive defensively for long stretches on the perimeter last night. And Avery Bradley being able to pressure the basketball, you know, at half court, get up in elite scores and really work them, it's contagious to the rest of your team defensively. And also pressuring the ball like that makes other defenders who aren't quite as quick, it makes them quicker because now, you know, the guy that's handling the basketball is being hounded and it's, it's more difficult for him to deliver the ball to the guy that you're guarding. So every, across the board, mm. it's really an effect where it, it just catches on from player to player defensively when that ball is being pressured at the initial point of attack, and that's what Avery Bradley can do. We know Doc thinks that Rajon Rondo is or may be the smartest player in the NBA, but do you think Doc worries about the maturity level of Rondo, Tim? I'm sure. I'm sure that's something that, that keeps him up at night at times. Uh, and it's probably never going to change. Uh, but Look, Rajon Rondo is a guy that you know, I, I, you know, I couldn't believe last year as many times as I heard his name come up in trade rumors. He just does too many things to help you win basketball games. The one thing that has to happen, though, for this team to max out and really make a serious run at a title is I just think there are times in the game that he has to be so much more aggressive offensively looking for his own shot and looking for his own game. And whether that's a jump shot or not, I would love to see more evolution in his jump shot because I think he's a better shooter than he gives himself credit for. But I'm talking about even plays just where he attacks and gets to the rim with those floaters and runners. And I think there are times when he is you know, looking for guys too much. They need him because he's the quickest player on the floor at times and he has a defensive matchup advantage. They need him to be more, be more aggressive as a scorer and not go you know, six, eight minutes at times where he's really not aggressively looking to score. I, they need that out of him because they need his athleticism and his ability to put pressure on teams at the basket. Do they need him to behave himself, or do you think that would uh, you know, uh, hurt him as a player? Does he have to be – you know, he's kind of – he could be a jerk out there on the court, and I guess kind of – Well, you know, to me, I look at it as a guy that's competitive and feisty. You know, and you even look, look at the play at the end of the game last night when he wraps up Dwayne Ray around the neck. He basically let him go and then decided to just grab him around the neck, took a flagrant one. I think he knew that was going to be a flagrant foul. To me, I was just saying to myself, why Why we 18 seconds left in the game before somebody does that? Mm. Because I got sick, personally. I'm not, I'm not even a diehard Celtics fan. I'm, I'm getting sick watching the game. How many times are guys just going to turn the corner and get to the basket without any sort of resistance or contact? Right. So, you know, all of the talk about, 
you know, Kevin Garnett shrugging off Ray Allen before the game and, and all of those things. There's an attitude there with Boston, but I didn't see it manifest itself on the court. They didn't play that game like with the physical intensity of a playoff game, and that's what you need to do. And it didn't really occur until 15, 20 seconds left in the game when somebody finally took a hard foul. So that's I don't a have a point. big problem with yeah. it. I just wish if I'm Doc Rivers, it happened sooner. There weren't any enforcers in the game. I mean, I guess Haslam played 11 minutes, but none of the big backups the, the, uh, played for the Celtics or, or the Heat, really. It was that kind of game. It really was. It was it was a, definitely a perimeter-oriented game. Yeah. And if you're going to get into that kind of game where it's, it's kind of like almost like a track meet, it's going to be tough to beat the Heat because they just have, with LeBron James and Dwayne Wade, they just have two guys that if, if that game is played that way and it's that porous and there's that many driving lanes, Good luck because they're they're going to dominate you by getting into the lane and and now you've even surrounded them with better shooters. This is by far the best shooting team that LeBron James has ever played on, so that's going to make him that much more of a weapon because we know he's he's a willing passer and now you actually have guys that are that are not just shot makers, they're consistent shot makers and they didn't even have that a year ago. Hey Tim Legler, does LeBron James get the Michael Jordan treatment at this stage in his career, the Jordan rules, if you will, a latter-day version of the LeBron rules? Well, I, I definitely feel that he gets benefit as Dallas calls, and, and he got some last night, yep. without question, in the first half. I, I, I was commenting in the room while I was watching the game. I said, man, what are the Celtics supposed to do right now? They can't touch anybody. Because it seemed like there was a stretch – and when you look up at the free throw disparity, there really isn't any. It, it, it's pretty even. But there was a stretch, I thought, in the second quarter when it seemed like there's just every time off the floor, LeBron James Dwayne was getting to the foul line. And, and you know, they were, they were like touch calls. Mm. And so LeBron definitely, I think, gets the benefit of doubt on those calls. But I wouldn't say that he's much different than a lot of star scorers in this league. You know, Kobe gets those calls. Carmelo gets them. Kevin Durant gets them. The elite scorers get those calls. You know, LeBron... I know it's frustrating if you're a Celtics fan because you're going, wait, he's the biggest, strongest guy on the court, and you can't breathe on him. How are you supposed to guard a guy like that? And I, I understand that frustration, but that really has gone on for years and years in this league. Just ask the guys that used to guard Carl Malone. Yeah. You, you, could, you couldn't touch the guy. When, he, when you combine his talent with the fact that he's getting 12 to 15 free throws every night, it's really difficult defensively, but – and that's the conundrum you face when you're playing against great players like that. Tim, is there a chance that the newly minted Lakers could turn out to be an unmitigated disaster, whether because of lack of chemistry or just the, 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 the ingredients don't mix out there? There's clearly a chance because obviously anything short of winning a championship would be a disaster for that team. So the expectation of the bar is so high that, there's yes, there's absolutely a lot of room for that. And, you know, one of the things you saw last night, and there will be a major overreaction to that as well today, um, to the way they played against Dallas. But the one thing that bothered me about watching that game is there was absolutely zero emotion out of the Los Angeles Lakers. That I don't understand. I understand they didn't play much together in the preseason. There's not a lot of continuity. You have guys that are a little bit older and, you know, not having the preseason. Sometimes those guys take – you know, of six weeks to get into form. I understand all those things. That doesn't explain the lack of emotion. I mean, you looked at the two teams last night. Dallas came to play. Mm. They came to get that game. And Elton Brand and, and Brandon Wright and Collison and Sean Marion were playing at a much higher level of intensity than anybody on the Lakers. And the thing that really bothered me, if I'm watching that tape today, when I see Dallas's bench and there's four guys standing up the entire game 
where you have kind of supporting their team and into the game and fired up. And then you go down the other end of the floor and you look at six Lakers with their heads on their chin mm. on the bench. That, to me, is a flat team emotionally. And they can't just show up with all their hardware in the locker room and all the names on the backs of the jerseys. I think people are going to lay down. And that's how they looked last night. And now they, they're going to get better because they've got to play together for a while. But the emotion bothers me or the lack thereof bothers me a lot if I'm running that team or if I'm a Lakers fan. Hey, Tim, before we let you go, there's a group, there's some people in Minnesota who aren't happy with the Timberwolves because they're too white. They only have five white guys, and they think it's uh, for marketing purposes. They're accusing the team of you know doing this for marketing purposes. Did you ever, I mean, you played for six teams, was it, in the NBA? Did you ever yeah. feel like, you know, you were a token guy there just to, you know, reach out to the to, to, the, to a certain demographic and get more white people interested in your team? Honestly, no. I, ne- I never felt that way. Um, and there was a couple of years in Washington, I was the only white player on the roster my last two years there. But, no, I, I personally never felt that way. The teams that I was on, I was, I was pretty much always in the rotation. I was utilized. I served a purpose. And I played, and I, I didn't feel that way in the community. And you know, it, it's interesting if, if they feel that way. Um, you know, it, listen, sometimes those types of things with your roster are are cyclical and coincidental. And you know, you're trying to acquire the best players that you can. And I, I can honestly tell you right now, I would be shocked if anything like that ever took place in terms of a conversation about what type of player demographically they wanted on their roster. It, 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 the NBA is too high level of business. You have to put out a winning product, and that means you have to put the best players on the floor that you can, uh, regardless of their skin color. And and I think Minnesota understands that. It just so happens right now that they've got guys that they've acquired, um, you know, that 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 fit that mold. But but that doesn't mean it's going to stay that way. Tim Legler, always a pleasure talking NBA with you. Always informative. Thanks for the talk, and uh, we'll talk to you down the road. My pleasure, guys. Look forward to talking to you again. Tim Legler from ESPN joining Dennison Callahan on the AT&T Hotline, AT&T 4G LTE. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.